0: The headlines are screaming at us. Schools are failing. But are they? Last season, we tried to figure out what made a school good by looking deeply at just one example, that of an unquestionably bad school that became, by all reports, good. This season, we come at this question by looking at the apparent controversies surrounding schools in America to see what sense we can make of them. Bailey taught us where to look for the markers of schools that are good, taught us to attend to what takes care of teachers so they can take care of students and grow together, and attending as well to the shared responsibility and rich relation. It turns out that what's wrong with schools is not the teachers or the learners, but a policy-level failure to create the conditions in which education can flourish. What are those conditions? Glad you asked. I'm Barb Stengel, the host of Chasing Bailey. Stay with us this season as educators from Bailey and beyond speak out. More than 100 years ago, the American philosopher of education, John Dewey, Said this What the best and wisest parent wants for his child, that must we want for all the children of the community. Anything less is unlovely and, left unchecked, destroys our democracy. This wasn't a headline, it was a line in a series of speeches that Dewey gave in 1899 to parents at his lab school at the University of Chicago. Dewey understood two important things, that what parents want for their children matters and that how and how well each and every child is educated matters for all of us. Today, we don't talk enough about Dewey's call to educational equity and its impact on democracy. Instead, small groups of parents are prompting battles in local school boards to ban books, to fight racially inclusive curriculum, and to limit the rights and constrain the very existence of transgender and questioning youth. One quick caveat, I'm using parents, biological and adoptive, as a proxy here for all those caring persons who nurture children and make decisions about their growth and development. The source for the upheaval in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is a group that advertises themselves as Moms for Liberty, part of a national organization founded in Florida. These were the headlines just before the Warwick School Board elections in Lidditz, Pennsylvania in November 2023. Local Moms for Liberty chapter accused of manufacturing a crisis before election. After Moms for Liberty chair's son raises concerns over LGBTQ plus book, some say it's a setup. The book was Queer, Second Edition, the Ultimate LGBTQ Guide for Teens. The 12th grader who just happened to find it was Chance Wilson, the son of Rachel Wilson Snyder, the Moms for Liberty Lancaster County chapter chair, who, since 2021, has led and supported challenges to books and teaching materials at schools across the county, while galvanizing support for GOP school board candidates. I did email Rachel Wilson-Snyder for a comment or a conversation, but did not hear back from her. But the bigger point is that none of this is about what parents want for their kids, despite invoking parents' rights regularly. It's a proxy for broader political issues that deserve an airing, but not on the backs of teachers and students. In fact, several residents called the hubbub about queer second edition a manufactured crisis. One of those was Shirley Showalter. Shirley is a 1967 Warwick grad-turned-educator who recently retired in Lidditz. She arrived just as the Moms for Liberty chapter was trying to throw its weight around under the guise of what parents want for their kids. Shirley thought they were missing the mark, that they were manufacturing a crisis that simply didn't exist. So she and others founded a group called Grandmoms for Love. Shirley began as an English teacher and became a college president at the well regarded private Mennonite institution, Goshen College in Indiana. As Shirley put it to me, she's an advocate of passionate learning. When she talks about education in Lancaster County, she sounds like the conservative and Christian she says she is.
1: Our area has some rich traditions of uh, actually, they're usually based on Christianity, but they are they are traditions of love. They are traditions of caring for the poor. They are traditions of peacemaking and wanting to live at peace with the Indians as the Moravians mm-hmm. tried to do. Uh, they're they're is Thaddeus Stevens and his vision for an America that could include Black people as equals, um, in such a, in a time when that was not at all the majority opinion. Um, we have these roots that we need to uh, water and and feed and uh, yep. help other people understand because the the vision of that claims to be conservative is trying to go take away our roots, take away these um, beliefs that are both rooted in a particular kind of um, democratic republic as it gets more and more inclusive over time. Um, and roots in the Christian faith, and it would also be rooted in the Jewish faith, and in every other major world religion, uh, we have these roots of love, and those same roots can be extended um, and and celebrated within, within a very diverse community. the The world we're living in does not have to scare us Surely,
0: values a traditional curriculum as well.
1: I, I actually agree to some extent with the critics of, of um, education that there should be a strong emphasis on basics.
2: Mm-hmm. They're always mm-hmm.
1: talking about reading, writing, and arithmetic. Mm-hmm. And I say, yes, that's mm-hmm. true. We right. should have right. those right. things. And they should be, uh, we should be turning out little readers and Mm. not little Mm. social media readers, little book readers. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) And if they want to read a book that I didn't particularly think was great, but they're reading that book, uh, you know, good good on them. (laughs) And so I believe in the basics. I would like to see a curriculum. I have English as my background. I like to see a curriculum that includes Shakespeare and the classics. Uh, I would also like to see a curriculum, especially in a diverse in the grouping, but even when not, I mean, you want to see that the books should describe the culture around yeah. us. Yeah. And if you come from a majority white, majority Republican town, you sh- you still should read books about people who are all colors living in cities as well as towns or mm-hmm or the country or any, any other thing or that's different other countries. what, what you, yeah, yeah, other countries, definitely. Uh, so I believe in diversity and the classics. I, so that makes me conservative, so be it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. I think students deserve to have.
0: So Shirley didn't understand why banning books of any kind was necessary, but she didn't want to just oppose Moms for Liberty. She wanted to understand them to figure out what they really wanted. So she attended the national convening last summer in Philadelphia. She came back very concerned about the motivation behind the Moms for Liberty effort to take over school boards, especially in light of the way educators have traditionally tried to balance the diverse needs and values of their students and families.
1: The real agenda here is not about education at all. It is about getting rid of, of our of, of one of the few actual socialized things we have in this country, which is education. Public education is a form of <laughs> socialism. Right. It is a good form of socialism. Right. And without it, we will have a weakened democracy. We we bought into it for, for generation after generation after generation. Now, we're, the whole idea is being attacked. And many, many strategies and lots of money is being poured into this. Mm -hmm. And we talk about parental rights. That's the big um, label that the right wing has attached to their grievances. (laughs) Um, But I believe that all parents have rights and that, and I I actually agree that they do have rights. Um, And I would like to see all parents feel that they uh, their values are respected, that there's a way that they can bring their child and their history and their family into this mixture of people, and whether that means sometimes opting out, as my parents opted me out of dance classes when I was um, in public school and was had this conservative background. Um, those those kinds of accommodations have been made. Teachers and principals are usually very willing to make them if they understand what the family, you know, who they are, where they're coming from. And um, so those rights are important and they they need to be balanced uh, wisely by administrators and teachers.
0: Shirley's children are adults now, but when I asked her what she wanted for her own kids, she was clear.
1: Um, I want for them to know themselves and to love themselves and to love other people. That's the bottom line. I see them doing this and it gives me great joy.
0: Do other parents agree with Shirley? As you'll see, I talked with all kinds of parents, starting with a Bailey parent and a Bailey resident who now teaches in a rural school in Washington State, and who is herself about to become a parent. And that's where we'll begin. You've heard from Amanda West before. This time I asked not about her Bailey experience, but about her educational hopes for the baby she is expecting this spring. She shared the particular educational concerns that accompany living in a lightly populated rural area, as well as how she understood her commitments as a teacher in the district where her son will go to school.
3: So this is my 10th year teaching at Morton, and it has been, I have watched colleagues of mine take their stu- their children out of Morton like continue their employment at Morton but take their children Mm -hmm. to either neighboring districts or to do online programs and it was always it I mean it just happened this year actually but it's like extremely offensive to me and I just think it's really offensive to your colleagues to take your kids out of the district that you work in because Mm -hmm. If it's not good enough, you're, it's good enough for you to work here, but it's not good enough for your kids to come. Um, but I had never had to think about it like realistically. And there are things about Morton and about living in a rural community and in a small school that I don't love. Mm -hmm. And I went to a really good public school and I know my kids are not going to the experience that I had if I stay here but I am not willing to work here and not send my kid here because I just think that sends a terrible message what
0: do you hope for him
3: honestly my biggest fear and I I really like living here for the most part and I mean there are moments when I get sad about being far away Mm -hmm. but like I am I am genuinely concerned about like exposure to diversity. That is something that no matter where I move in Washington state would be very different. Like every time I get off the airplane in Philadelphia and I see that there are more not white people in the airport than there were in Mm -hmm. Seattle or Portland, I'm like, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. there are people Mm -hmm. who are not white in other Mm -hmm. places. And I am genuinely concerned about my kid's exposure to other cultures and other belief systems well he's certainly going to get exposed to other political belief systems mm-hmm. than the ones mm-hmm. that i have but mm-hmm. um um and my other big concern is like yeah how do i make sure that he's challenging himself and being challenged without Me feeling like I have to send him to a let him go to the community college junior and senior year, which is what a lot of the kids do, and then they aren't, and that's that's another reason why it's so hard. Junior and senior year is the kids who are strong tend to leave and go to community college, so that it's like a brain drain. Then those kids graduate. Here's the other thing: they graduate high school with an AA, and they go into a four-year school as a junior at age 18, and that is just about the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Right. Then, I mean, this has happened, now that I've been here for long enough, I have former students who graduated with their bachelor's at age 20, and they're like, well, what am I supposed to do now? The four years I spent in college were extremely formative mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for reasons that were not at all academic, and that's something that I think is lost here because everybody is just like, well... If they're going to be challenged, they have to go to the college. And I don't want that
0: for yeah. him. This is, I mean, I think this is something you've been aware of all along, but it sounds like this is, will have to prompt for you some kind of existential um, issue around what are we doing here? If my yeah. kid can't can't go here and get a good education. And- I just
3: don't want my kid to be the one that everyone wants to be in a group with just because they think he's the smart one mm-hmm. i want him to be challenged
4: mm-hmm.
3: by his peers and also have the kinds of habits and expectations that my peers and i had which is that like of course we're going to go to college of course we're going to work hard in class of, of mm-hmm. course like i want him to feel challenged and also to feel like
0: he's not weird caring and doing well you know it's it's nice to be in a community where there's a critical mass of people who are pushing for the learning not just the grade right
3: yeah to get back to your original question what is what do i want i want my son to value curiosity and learning more than completing a task like, and what I if he Green. can't do that at Morton? I don't know. I know I will not send him somewhere while I still work here. Yeah. So it would be a decision about going to a different district. I don't know that there's any districts right. around here. I don't. I I might have to move to make that happen.
0: Ithaca Black is the mother of Maya Black. Regular Chasing Bailey fans met Maya in Episode 7 of the first season when we featured four Bailey students talking about their experience. Ithaca works in a Nashville high school in an administrative capacity, but she clearly thinks of herself as an educator. Maya is looking to become an educator as well, something Ithaca is not sure about. She moved Maya around a bit before she found a home and success at Bailey. Because, as Ithaca tells us, the Bailey team cared about Maya and gave her new opportunities to test herself.
4: So I unenrolled her there, and put her at East. Of course, she got into it with some uh, an adult at East. The lady said that she bumped her, and I know my child. And she said, "Mom, if I bumped her," I said, "Excuse me." So of course. I unenrolled her there because me and my mama got into it with her. And so I put her at the zone school, which was Bailey.
0: Oh, okay. Okay.
4: Where we lived in. I know it sucks. I know you're tired of moving around. I'm tired of moving and mm-hmm. moving you around. I said, but at least this way you can ride the bus and then you can get on the bus and walk up the street to the house. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh so I actually loved Bailey. But at the at the time that she left Bailey, we moved to Georgia.
0: Right. She told me that.
4: So and we they hated to see us go, but you know, I it 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 is what it is. Yeah. Uh and I love the broadcast section that she was doing. And when we moved to Georgia, they had broadcasting. Totally, told her that would have been a wonderful field to go in. When you say you love Bailey, what was it about Bailey that
0: took care of Maya at that time for that one year, a little more than a year, I guess?
4: Well, they loved Maya. And I, I mean, I, we never really had a complaint with Bailey. Um, principals loved it. She was an office worker. Yeah. She did the Bailey beat. I mean, like she was involved. She was a cheerleader. So... And I had to take her out of that because, like I said, we moved, but mm-hmm. um, I just, I, they cared.
0: Maya is now the 22-year-old mother of a 2-year-old who is attending college and working to make ends meet. Maya and Ithaca live in the same apartment, where Ithaca, her mother, provides the kind of support, like car insurance and health insurance, that well-off families offer their children when they are in college. Like other parents, she worries a little bit about whether her young adult is on the right track. She knows from firsthand experience that growing up isn't easy. And she also knows that giving advice to a young adult is usually
4: ill-advised. When she went to Bailey, she had wonderful people that didn't want to guide her wrong. But, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm definitely, I'm mean. I'm a mean mama. But... (laughs) I'm a nice mom too. So she tells people, well, it's my mom, but we like roommates. Like, what? We like roommates. What? Like, oh. you know what? Mm. Now I can leave right now. But the problem is she wouldn't make it. Ah, uh, okay. Because I have the car insurance. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If I drop that, she'll have to take the lights, the water. Right. She doesn't make it enough. Right she needs to, she needs to be stable, like, and I'm, like I said, I don't get me wrong, education, when she said education, I said, oh, we all told her you're in the wrong field. I said, broadcasting, you could travel.
3: Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. You could without out the country to travel, but, you know, I, I, I don't, that's a good question. I I want her to succeed, but I know she, She's going to fall. Okay. Because I, my mama wanted me to see it. I fell, but I got back up and I got mm-hmm. fell, fell in and got mm-hmm. back up and till so you get tired of falling. Let's stay in
0: Nashville for a bit. I spoke with Christian Bugs, Liz Self, and Becky Peterson, all of whom have been teachers themselves and all of whom have exercised their parents' rights in interesting ways. Christian is now the executive director of Pencil, a nonprofit that connects businesses with Metro Nashville public schools, making it easier for them to have an impact. She is also the president of the MNPS school board. She knows through experience with her young son Christopher what parents are feeling and what they want for their children.
5: So as I'm pregnant, my two youngest brothers are finishing up college and Mm -hmm. my mom actively paying for their school. She's taking their classes for them. You know, the, the online classes of the summer, just in my mind, she was coddling them in ways Mm -hmm. that she didn't coddle my sister or I, but I, I remember them, you know, I had an emergency C-section and they lifted Christopher over that blue sheet. And I remember calling. You know, I kind of told my mom as soon as we got back in the room, like I get it now. I'm gonna be stupid over this guy. I mean, just whatever he wants, whatever he needs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The only reason that I'm going to work harder than I have been working is because he is my legacy. Forget anything that I do. Mm-hmm. I just want him to be happy. I, you know, you you see where millionaires and these, um, you know, business magnates, they give their their whole life's work to their children, and they flop. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, of course. Because I don't Mm -hmm. care what anybody else does with what I've done. Mm -hmm. I want my son to be happy. Mm -hmm. And so when I really think about what does it mean for him to be happy, I remember thinking I just wanted to be there with him. I I didn't want to have to bury him. I Mm -hmm. would love Mm -hmm. to be there for every high and honestly for every low, but everything in between, I couldn't really put language to. So it was Mm -hmm. the, the older he got, the more entrenched I got into the motherhood, the more I thought, well, I mean, I just really want him to be confident. And I really want him to be happy Mm -hmm. and I really want him to, to feel like the the world loves him, even if they don't, I want him to know how to weed through nonsense on his own and know that he can lean on me. If he can't weed through it by himself. I, I wish I could have given you a more thoughtful answer, but when I really think back to that moment, it was just whatever he needs. I want to be able to give him.
0: Christian was communicating with parents as a member of the school board when Christopher was born. And before that, she worked to engage parents as a teacher at Neely's Bend Middle School. I asked her what those parents wanted for their kids.
5: You know, that is, I, I think about that often because I think about my time as a student at MLK, which, again, you to go to MLK, it was, for me, so much less about your... um. Capacity to learn and cognitive ability, and so much more about how your parents pushed you. I yeah. mean, yeah. there was parent engagement spilling out of the ears of, of of teachers at MLK. But then when I look at my time at Neely's Bend, it was yes, a neighborhood school. It was a priority school, meaning that it was performing in the bottom ten for five percent of the state. Um, far less parent engagement than some of the other schools that I, you know, that I oversee now as a school board member. So when I think about my time as a teacher, I think parents just wanted their kids to be safe when they got there and safe when they came home, Mm -hmm. learn something every day. I can't remember a single time a parent told me specifically what they wanted, but I, you just kind of feel the the few times that I was able to be introduced to a parent, you just felt like I I just wanted, they wanted to lay eyes on me to make sure that I was gonna love their child Mm -hmm. and help them as best I can. And that was it, right? Mm -hmm. So
0: when Christopher came along, Christian was ready
5: when I gave birth to him, I think I pretty much knew like, yeah, whatever's close to us, we're going to use. But I also, it was interesting. I was on the school board, but I was my full-time role. I was making $35,000 a year. So I, I would have never, honestly, I would have never considered private school anyway, just because I'd never gone to a private school, Mm -hmm. but I I didn't have the money to. So Mm -hmm. all that to say, I am pretty sure if I think back that as soon as he was born, I knew, whatever's down the street, he's going to go, you know, And, Mm -hmm. and, started, you know, researching more as a board member and realized like, oh, Jones is a phenomenal school. Of course. I mm-hmm. I'd send my mm-hmm. So I, I always knew he would be fine wherever I put him, but the idea that Jones served all the homeless shelters in Nashville, it Jones and Buena Vista, which was our, one of our lowest income, um, schools were merged. Now. I, I think I felt more of a responsibility to support Jones mm. than I felt like a responsibility for Christopher because I knew he would be fine. No matter where I put him, you know, the first two years of his life, he was at uh, my cousin's daycare, Flow Academy, and she specifically targets and supports students with any kind of exceptional need. So my son had grown up, you know, seeing and being around students with Down syndrome or students Mm. who were disabled in so many physical physical and um, cognitive ways that, again, I, I... more than anything, I wanted school to give him things that I couldn't give him, that kind of worldview. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I can read to him about other cultures and other experiences and tell him how very blessed he is. But it's a different thing for a child to be in those experiences themselves and really develop their own sense of compassion. Because Mm -hmm. I know I can teach Mm -hmm. you to be smart. I can teach you how to think. I can teach you how to do school, as you would say, Barb. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't you can't authentically teach compassion without modeling it. And without making sure that your child is testing their own compassion and being at Jones, I, Feel like he's been able to test his own compassion and see that he is the same as so many other children and different in the best ways also we had a muralist come in and some of the things that these babies drew some of the concepts and the things that they came up with the way that they want Mm -hmm. to love each other in their community i'm Mm -hmm. like you don't even realize that you are literally living Mm -hmm. below the poverty line Mm -hmm. all you can think about is that you're supposed to be compassionate and help other people but Mm -hmm. god kids Mm-hmm. You are a baby. You know, we're talking about mm-hmm. kindergartners and first graders, right? Having, being a lunch buddy to some of these babies, you hear the, their vocabulary and you realize that they're not malicious or ignorant. They are literally ignorant to other, other terms or other mm-hmm. ways. Of- mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. At their heart, they are sweet and they are thoughtful. But if the language that they have to put to their mm-hmm. feelings are a bit crude, then okay. I just have different conversations with them to help build mm-hmm. their vocabulary. And I think that's been the beautiful thing of having having him there at the homeless shelter that he doesn't know who his homeless peers are. He doesn't know. He doesn't know who the unhoused right. are. What's that mean? Like everybody has to sleep somewhere. Right? right. But the idea that he sees now that sometimes he has something different than his friends have. And so he wants to bring an extra pair of crayons or extra pack of pack crayons because his seatmate doesn't have them. And mm-hmm. he was to mm-hmm. sharing them. So, mm-hmm. Can I just can I bring John some? Yeah, let's get John. Yeah, some. Yeah,
0: yeah, let's get John some. That's exactly A right.
5: Way of saying being able to be there kind of continues to help humanize children and people for me as I continue to grow professionally, mm-hmm. but it also humanizes into my son. And what, what else could I ask for? Like, we're supposed to be here trying to fill gaps, not better, you know, separate or, you know, create that chasm that separates the haves and the has nots.
0: I talked with two other Nashville educators who each have three children, one with special needs, who have placed their kids in different schools, a mix of private, public, and charter. Liz Self started out with kids in the same elementary school, but has ended up this year with a son in a public magnet school, one daughter in an elite private school, and one daughter in a five through twelve charter school. She's doing a lot of driving. As we'll see, the kids are each where they need to be, but there are costs. I think from the beginning,
6: we wanted them to have some kind of sense of community, which is part of the reason we started in our zone schools. We wanted them to develop a strong sense of self. And by that, I don't just mean like self-confidence or something like that, but a sense of knowing who they were, what their strengths were, what they had a hard time with, all of that kind of thing. And we wanted them to become aware of who they were in the world, I would say. Um, So when we moved, for example, the first time to the elementary school that all the kids ended up finishing out at, you know, the the premise was, we feel like at the school we are zoned to by virtue heavily of the racial and socioeconomic uh, makeup, that they were not going to get a good sense of who they were in the grand scheme of the world. Um, And for Zola, in particular, may not have a strong sense of self because she would have been one of very few Black children there. And many of the Black kids there, like her, are growing up in
0: otherwise white families. So, Listen to Liz describe her three children.
6: When Oliver was young, we knew that he was curious. He seemed smart in a lot of the very typical ways and on the sort of typical diagnostics, but not in any sort of way where we felt like he was going to need something very, very special to meet that, Um, but he needed to be challenged, and more importantly, he needed someone who would not be beleaguered by all of his questions. (laughs) Um, And we wanted to make sure he understood that education is based on asking questions. So, you know, we really tried to find something for that um, and sort of muddled through elementary school where he got more of it some places or more of it some years with certain teachers kind of thing. Um, And so when it became possible for him to go to a different school that we felt like would be more challenging or that would be a collection of children who had more questions about the world, we sent him there Um, And then over the course of time, came to realize that the big thing that he also needed was to feel like he was okay. (laughs) Probably the biggest thing that's that's been at play with Emmeline is a desire for her to not um, just be a people pleaser. Like she is 100% an oldest daughter, going to help with whatever needs done, going to meet those needs, going to make sure that she's following the directions and doing it just right and is definitely connected to that. She does gymnastics. She is a competitive gymnast. And so that sort of eye for perfectionism is definitely part of that sport. Um, and so we saw that kind of develop. And I would say if, if if anything, we have just wanted to play into like making sure that she she's also like a quirky, very funny kid with a lot of like deep interests. She loves to bake, even though she is frequently hair- horrible at it. Um, she's like a big reader, all of these other kinds of things. Um, and just wanting to make sure she felt like she could be all of those things and not just sort of the, the good little girl kind of thing. So Zola is 11. She was adopted from the democratic Republic of Congo when she was in, uh, still pretty young, probably around six months when we met her and she came, uh, here to the U S. Um, for a long time, Wes and I thought that her biggest sort of identity, exploration would be understanding herself as a black woman growing up in the U S with white parents and siblings and what that meant. And that is absolutely still an enormous part of her. And then when she was very young, she started wearing glasses because her eyesight was quite poor. And then, uh, in 2020, we found out that she has a genetic syndrome, um, that the most immediate issue is that she has, um, retinitis pigmentosa. So she has progressive vision loss, um, And it comes with other potential health issues that probably in the next five years we'll get a sense of whether or not um, which ones of those she's going to be dealing with that'll be potentially pretty significant health concerns. So um, in addition to understanding herself racially and her gender and her family space and all of those kinds of things, she's also dealing with a world that is made for sighted people um, as someone who increasingly has less of it.
0: Despite some pretty clear differences in personality and need, All three children were able at different times to attend the same elementary school. And that was the goal, to be part of an educational community. But as they developed and grew out of this elementary school, things got more complicated. The different needs and interests as the children grew older led their parents to put them in different school settings, starting with Oliver.
6: And so when it was time for ninth grade to come around, which is when most of the kids try to land where they're going to stay for four years Uh, We went somewhere else. And at that point, he knew that he cared deeply about music, um, not just playing and performing, but music theory, music composition, production, all that kind of thing. And we're fortunate to have a magnet arts school in the district. Um, And he went there and, you know, it's got its own set of (laughs) question marks and challenges, but also he is happy to go to school. Um, He likes to be there. He feels like he's challenged in some places and, and supported. Um, and he also feels like more or less he, he is okay with who he is and with how other people see him. And that was something he desperately needed at that point.
0: The issues for Emmy and Zola were different. Emmy really didn't like school. So Liz and Wes considered options and decided to enroll her in the private school adjacent to the Vanderbilt campus where Wes works as a medical researcher. Liz describes it as an interesting place, a place that offers flexibility for Emmy's gymnastics schedule. It's also an expensive option. I asked whether it was worth it.
6: I have no idea how to answer if it's worth it. (laughs) I feel like that's something we may be able to figure out over time. But what I will say is she's far more engaged in it. at a a broad level. At her previous school, she would be very engaged in a certain class or with a certain teacher. Mm -hmm. Here it's a broader, she seems connected to more people and she's just in general a happier child who feels better about herself and going to school.
0: And Zola? The schools her older brother and sister had attended were clearly not right for her. She would need both the kind of diversity that would support her identity and the kind of supports that would enable her to grow in the face of deteriorating vision.
6: and I spent a fair amount of time and had a lot of conversations with people about what was going to be possible because I had I taught at a charter school in Chicago. I know how they work. I know you know a lot of the laws around them. and there is a level at which something is legally required and then there's a level at which something actually gets done. Um, so any parent who has a kid with an IEP or 504 will will be able to tell you there's paperwork that says you have to do and then there's, What do you have to do when they don't do it to get it done, which very often is lawsuits. Um, And so we kind of made a double commitment. One is that we were just going to be extremely proactive in making sure her needs were going to be met in communicating about what her needs are and making her feel comfortable about being in that space. And we were basically committed to saying, if we don't get this, we're not going to run. We're going to push. Um, we've been fortunate so far that we haven't needed to do that. People have been receptive to, um, you know, what her needs are and what those accommodations look like. Um, I will be very blunt in saying that I think that because her primary needs are around a physical issue and not cognitive developmental processing, something like that, um, it has been easier to get people to, um, go along with it because you, it's, it's harder to argue.
0: Is there, is there any sense in which the, the overall impact is actually the same, that it's a different school for a different kid because you want the same thing for all your kids?
6: Yes. So, I mean, I think for all of the kids sort of what I want is that they are challenged to learn things. And again, I mean that both in the, like, you go to class and you learn things you didn't know, but also you go out in the hallway or to lunch or to an after-school activity and you learn things um, that are sometimes easy and sometimes challenging, but, you know, that growth is happening. Um, I wanted people, I wanted them to be somewhere where people, and I mean, both adults and to the extent that adults often set the tone for it, other kids genuinely know them. Um, And like, can actually say something about them and have a sense of who they are and
0: that there are connections there. Becky Peterson and her husband, Andy, also have three children. Their eldest, Finn, has multiple disabilities, has now graduated from high school and at 19 is enrolled in a public school transitions program. Hawk in fifth grade and Lucy in second are, as Becky puts it, unique in some ways and not unique in other ways but the family and all the decisions Becky and Andy make for the children are impacted by the reality of Finn's disabilities. Still, Becky, like Liz, wants the same thing for all of her children.
7: My hope for them is that they grow and continue to be people who are thoughtful, And thoughtful in the way, not just kind, but actually thought-filled, right? Um, That they're critical thinkers. Um, That they feel like they belong somewhere. Um, And that they have the ability to care for for not only themselves in whatever that capacity is, but also to care for other people.
0: Hmm. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So what do you imagine schools can do? Well, mm-hmm. all, obviously you and Andy and your extended family can do quite a lot in this area, but what is it that schools can do?
7: Mm-hmm. I think it depends on the school, quite honestly.
0: Um,
7: I think the one of the beauties of public schools in particular is that even if you're in the suburbs or if you're in a rural community and obviously in an urban setting, there is more of a diversity there um, of thought, of people, of economics, of political views. And I think that in how school is conceived, that we have the opportunity to relate to people who are different from us in a way that is kind and compassionate and and seeks to understand and also seeks to be understood. Um, And so, I mean, we can get into some of the specifics, but particularly with Finn, I think public school is not only a place for him, but it's a place for other people to learn from him. Mm -hmm. Where are they now? Hawk is still at Linden Waldorf. Mm -hmm. So he is at an independent school that is pretty far outside of the norm of independent schools. And then Lucy is at her
0: local, our neighborhood elementary school. What went into all the decision-making to the extent that you had decisions to make about all this?
5: That's
7: great. I think with Finn, there was less of a decision. Um, We had some decision in his early childhood years, but both of the places that we had him were actually blended classrooms. And then- the logical choice for us was for him to go to our neighborhood public school, um, which was a Spanish immersion school. And so oh, that's there, right. Yeah. I forgot that. Yeah. So there were a lot of people in my world that really questioned us sending him to a Spanish immersion school mm-hmm. because of his pretty significant delays um, speech-wise.
6: Mm-hmm.
7: However... I continually pushed against that because I do, and to this day, I think that there were some neural pathways that were started um, in learning another language in addition to learning English that have stuck with him, that have maybe helped him progress speech-wise in ways that some of his counterparts haven't. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was our neighborhood school. So he was friends with our neighbors, right? Mm -hmm. Like would go out and play with them. Hawk was a choice and somewhat of a default. Um, He had been at a Montessori for early childhood. And by the time we were getting to his kindergarten decision, I mentally was in a place where I needed somebody, some system, I think to offer some support to Hawk that I just couldn't because I had been advocating so hard for Finn. Mm -hmm. And I needed to know where I was sending him to school. Mm -hmm. There were other folks who could take up for ways that I couldn't. Mm -hmm. And Lyndon
0: has, or the Waldorf system for him, has proven to be that. Becky and Andy have wondered about how and if to shift Hawk to a public school. But Hawk seems to know that it might be time for that.
7: But what has come up recently is... He knows how happy Lucy has been in our neighborhood school. Mm -hmm. He sees our neighborhood boys out playing together. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of this outlier right now. And he Mm -hmm. asked if he could go on a tour of Brentwood Middle School. They've got a great strings program. They have a great arts program. And those are some of his strengths. Lucy's great. I mean, she is a bright second grader, great reader, thoughtful kid, and as we've often said, like school's kind of made mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing that I would say is she gets bored sometimes and she is in this year's class, often one of the helpers for other kids in the class, which I, is fine from time to time, but I also mm-hmm. realize for her, like there is a different layer of caregiving that just happens at home. By Mm -hmm. default Mm -hmm. because of Finn, and I don't always want that to be something that she has to deal with at school Mm -hmm. too.
0: Becky looks forward to a range of possibilities for Hawk and Lucy, but Finn requires something different. What do parents expect for their children like Finn down the line? When your child has multiple disabilities, the path is strewn with rocks. I mean,
7: Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that he experiences some sort of independence, whatever that may look like in the transition program that he's in. He is in the community nearly every day of the week, but two days a week, he goes to a retirement center
1: Mm
7: -hmm. um, for like an internship and they're playing games and helping with breakfast and reading and, and he loves it. Mm -hmm. Like is Mm -hmm. so happy. So, you know, if he can be some sort of have some sort of a job somewhere i also think there are so many constraints in our system in terms of how much money he can actually make and still be eligible for social security and medicaid like there are lots of parameters around that um so i do hope he experiences some sort of independence
0: Becky sent me a text after our conversation reminding me of the ongoing grieving that accompanies the parents of children with disabilities in a system that marks various rites of passage, like graduation, highlighting that those are just not attainable for some kids. As we imagine what parents want for their children, it's important to recognize this additional weight. So we've traveled from rural Washington state to Nashville and now back here to Lancaster where elementary teacher Jess Howd has daughters with disabilities who required and still require accommodations in school, but who are nonetheless able to move forward in their lives. Jess's twins are now in
8: college. I wanted them to have a good opportunity and to get a good education. And I also wanted them to be in a diverse environment.
0: Talk about that. Why? Who cares?
8: Uh, Because I think our world is diverse. And if you can learn at an early age to get along with all sorts of people who don't look like you and don't maybe have the same values and cultures and, you know, they're very different from you, then if you can get along then, you're really set up to get along as adults.
0: What does that mean to you? A good education, a good opportunity?
8: I think I wanted them to have the chance to, um, you know, take different kinds of classes and, you know, and an elementary level, I don't think it was quite the thought in my brain that, you know, we have to get a good education because I think, and even as an educator, I really do think this so much more learning comes from home Mm -hmm. than we often as educators give credit for. Um, So I thought having an education background and the things that my husband and I do with our kids, Mm -hmm. they are almost like the teacher proof kids. So -hmm. if they had a year that it wasn't a great teacher, it wasn't going to affect them a whole lot because we do a lot at home. We go to museums, we take, we travel, we read books, we, you know, play games. We do all of that at home. And if they had trouble, we could always help them. So elementary, middle school, what I was really looking forward to because I went to McCaskey and I know the education that I got at McCaskey and I really wanted that for them. I wanted them to have the chance to take AP courses if they wanted to, to take IB classes if they wanted to, to, um, you know, go as far as they could with that. And McCaskey felt right for me. There is also a little bit in, you know, I knew the system, we knew a lot of the people that kind of made it more comfortable for me.
0: Jess is a teacher in the district the girls attended, but was also highly involved in the PTO. Like Amanda West, Jess chose to teach in the district she selected for her daughters. She is committed to public school, but understands systemic limitations.
8: They, so my older two um, are twins, and they had some special needs that I really had to be an advocate for them Mm -hmm. through their entire school career. Um, So I really got involved very early, probably when they were in kindergarten with the school, because I just thought to myself, if the administration and teachers know who I am and know that I'm willing to be helpful, then they're probably gonna do more for us then if they don't know who I am and I just come in complaining about things, that was my kind of impetus to get into it so okay. they would know who I was. Okay. And then okay. I just continued on with that. Criminal. And often the squeaky wheel gets mm-hmm. the grease. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. being the person in there, it, it, I think it benefited the girls. Probably. <laughs> How do you feel? So where are the girls now? They're at Millersville. Okay.
0: They're both at Millersville. So they both- yep. Whatever their special needs were, they sort of sorted them out. Well,
8: it still is an issue. Um, They have selective mutism. Ah, So they, I don't know that they had spoken all through 12 years of school, 13 Ah. years of school. Um, So that I really needed to be like, if they had a problem, they would come home and talk to me about it, but they couldn't talk to Mm -hmm. a teacher about Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. You know, it was very difficult. So. Even up through high school, I was emailing teachers and things like that.
0: I asked Jess what parents want from her perspective as a teacher.
8: I think probably for their kids to be safe at school Mm -hmm. and to get a good education. I think, you know, as much as it may look different from how I've raised my kids or how, you know, other people have raised their kids, I think all parents really want the best for their kids and they love them and want them to do their best sometimes the way they go about it maybe isn't the way i would but i, I do think everyone has the kids best interest in heart mm-hmm. and i think mm-hmm. i think parents do want communication from schools and they do want if there is a problem had to have a follow-up just follow mm-hmm. through whatever mm-hmm. we say is good. What
0: do you want for your kids? What do you want them to be and
8: become? You know, that's, it's very interesting to ask that. Um, Because I think, you know, I want them to be happy. Yeah. In whatever they choose. I just want them to have like a fun life and be happy and be kind. (laughs) Yeah. I realized I
0: needed to talk with some dads, so I gathered up a couple of my neighbors, men with elementary-age children. Johnny is just here from Colorado, Stu a longtime resident of the area. They are early elementary kids, kids at the same elementary school here in Lancaster City. Stu and his wife Heather are very involved in the PTO at Wharton. Johnny and Laura, who is a teacher in the district, are becoming more and more involved.
9: I was hoping she would, you know, be a scientist or a president or just the, the world. <laughs> I, I want the world for her. So, <laughs> um, astronaut.
0: <laughs> so, you were really thinking in terms of opportunities.
9: Yeah. 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 And it's kind of funny. When JoJo was born, this is after I had Bailey for two years already. I was like, I want you to be an athlete.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but oh. I, I don't
9: know why. It just kind of seemed to come more natural to her or something. But... <laughs>
0: Oh, now that's interesting. Uh, okay. All right. This is good. Uh, Stu, how about you? What were you thinking?
2: I mean, I I just want my kids to to develop into like happy people. Uh, I wanted them to be, you know, find something that they're interested in and passionate about and get into something. <laughs>
0: and, and, and what kinds of things have have you done? Both of you, um, but Stu, I'll let you go first. What kinds of things besides school? Because obviously, school isn't the the only thing involved in education. What are you doing for them to help them do what you're saying to find something, Stu?
2: So, for instance, both of my kids are are particularly interested in art. Uh, I think that's something that uh, you know that that was kind of always our go to activity uh, for our kids, and uh, we've supported them in that through. You know, get them signed up for you know different classes, let it, letting them explore different uh, you know sort of art mediums. I guess uh, you know Stewie, for instance, right now is uh, on a, 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 a I think Heather refers to it as fiber arts, but uh, it's knitting, sewing, uh, cross stitching, uh, and you know when he when he latches on to something like that, it's like all right, well let, you know let's let's learn more about that. Let's mm-hmm. let's see what else we can get into here. Uh, and sort of let him guide it, uh, but also be there to support him and, you know, mm-hmm. help help him develop into that.
0: That's great. Johnny, how about you? Things outside of school that you've done for the girls or? Are...
9: Well, um, you know, uh, I, I guess I should preface it by saying I, I, I want them to be whoever they want to be. You know, I just want them to be happy and, and find themselves too. And I would be a delighted dad if if that happened, you know, mm-hmm. but um, as far as encouragement with with Bailey, um, she really took to uh, well, she really likes reading and and math. so we kind of helped her with with her letters and were' mm-hmm. uh, very, very supportive of of that. and she loves puzzles and Legos and, uh, and we uh, put her in in soccer for uh, for a summer to see if she would like that. and she it was okay. Uh, but she, uh, she didn't really like ask to do it again. But but if she were to, we would make sure to to do anything like that. And uh, with, with Josephine, we're kind of, um, it, we're, we encourage her to do kind of whatever she likes to do.
0: We talked about how extended family impacted the kids positively, but then we turned back to school. I asked how school is helping their kids to grow into happy people with opportunities.
2: Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, school uh, puts some structure to the day. Uh, that's one thing that I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I personally appreciate about it, um, gives them something to look forward to, something to, you know, a uh, 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 a solid reason to get out of bed in the morning, um, which I think is, <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's obviously, you know, for, you know, for Stewie and Elena, there's, you know, there's the art class, there's music class, there's PE, you know, there, so there's those, those resources, those opportunities there for, you know, kids to learn and, and you know, kind of uh, nurture that, um, you know, whatever interest they're into. Um, at the moment so Heather Heather and I uh, frequently have the conversation about is it Wharton or is it homeschooling uh, and the, oh, and the okay. thing that that you know that, that kind of keeps us coming back to Wharton is that you know that social interaction piece that's that's probably the one barrier that's keeping us from
9: mm-hmm. you know making Just, that
2: plunge. Yeah,
9: uh, <laughs> uh, yeah I was, I'm kind of on the same page you are with that um, it's for I guess for For Bailey, especially uh, moving to a new place, it's a uh, it's a great social system. She's making some new friends, and and kind of uh, I think it's it gives her day structure, like you're saying. That's huge. Uh, It gives her (laughs) exactly what you said a reason to wake up and go somewhere. uh,
0: (laughs) These dads were in agreement about what was good for their kids. At the top of the list, recess.
2: Yeah, I mean one of the things that we talk a lot about, uh, like after well, what Heather and I talk a lot about is, uh, you know, the importance of recess during all of this. Again, this is not like recess, obviously, is not a, you know, an academic part of the day. Uh, But I think our kids get, I don't know, Johnny, is it like 20 or 25 minutes of recess uh, during the day? Uh, And we always kind of complain about how, you know, man, it it should be, it should be triple that. Uh, It should be like an hour. Yeah. Yeah. You know, (laughs) especially when they're, when they're young, like, Moving their bodies and getting up and wiggling around and you know kind of you know fooling around with their friends like that's mm-hmm. you know it sounds silly but like that's yeah. that's really important stuff. Um, yeah. you know, being able to you know, you know a move your body and you know interact with your friends like that is you know to me uh, a significant part of you know growing up and going to school.
0: You both have your kids right now in an urban public school district that if you asked in our county what the best school districts were, this district probably wouldn't get mentioned. Um, what What do you think? I, I think there are problems with that, by the way, and I would fight it in lots of ways myself. But sure, what are you thinking about, you know, for when they grow up, like expanded opportunities? Do you have any thoughts in your head about well, I want them to get this kind of education so they can do X because it's credentials. I mean, that's part of it. You know, it does make a difference. Hmm. Have you thought yeah. about those kinds of things, Stu?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, yes, you're absolutely right about the, you know, the reputation that SDOL has, but um you know, it's, it's also, it's, it's a big school uh, and it's a diverse school. Uh, and that's one thing that Heather and I really appreciate about it. Um, we want our kids to get exposure to all different cultural backgrounds, you know, all different people, uh, the socioeconomic stuff too. Like, I don't want my kids, you know, burying their heads in the sand thinking that like, you know, poverty doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, what better place to, you know, kind of learn about that um, than to grow up with people like that. So, mm-hmm uh you know yeah I, I i you know i worry about it from time to time but you know i think that you know heather and i's role as parents is to you know guide them um you know through that that journey uh through school together i'm 100 percent
9: with uh, with Stu on this one like uh, we moved from four calls which was very not diverse at all and so we knew what we knew what we were getting into with kind of an urban environment and uh, we we really embrace it it's it's pretty it's pretty awesome i i want my kids to know what, you know, kind of what what the real world is like out there and not just be tucked away in some uh, special place.
0: As I ponder the voices we've just heard, I think how wonderfully clear and even reassuringly boring the message is. Happiness matters, curiosity matters, safety matters, relationship matter, recess matters. Opportunity in the broadest sense is what motivates parents. In families where home is an academically rich environment, parents are less worried about basic skills and more concerned about meeting the world on its own terms. In families where the academic capital is less rich, where higher levels of formal education is not the norm, for instance, Parents want schools to ensure that students are academically as well-prepared as anybody else. And most parents agree with John Dewey that all kids have vast potential and that acknowledging that potential in all children is the democratic path, the American way. Shirley Showalter set a tone early in our conversation with her insistence on love. I asked Shirley how we would fare educationally if our point of entry was her focus on love, would youngsters taught to love succeed in the world?
1: Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, and you know what? They're gonna do very well economically (laughs) too. Right. (laughs) But if they didn't, they would know how to live. You know, I'm living in 400 square feet right now. And I'm having a blast. I have lived in a 5,000 square foot house and that was great too. It had a gorgeous view. I I love that, but neither those two houses were who I am. I bring myself to it and uh, that's what I want for my children. And yes, by putting money at the middle of anything, you, you curdle it.
0: Oh, good word. You good destroy
1: word. its 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 essence. And um, well, Arthur Brooks, the guy who writes about happiness, talks about um, make sure that you use money and love people and don't. Use people and love money.
0: A good reminder from Shirley.
1: And I heard something
0: else that got me thinking. Parents want the same thing for their kids, but they know their children well enough to realize that the same outcomes may not be achieved with the same measures when the kids are different. For a whole host of reasons, parents may choose, when they have a choice, different schools. In the American system today, parents have choice if they have money and access to knowledge about school options. But choice itself is not unproblematic. Liz Self commented on that.
6: I think that when parents choose, I think there's a, it's important for people to understand that what you're gonna choose isn't necessarily gonna be right. What you're choosing is the best thing you could figure out given the options available within the parameters of what your life looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a lot of caveats. Um, one of the things that I will say as an example of one of the huge problems with this kind of choice we've exerted is I am not involved in any of these three schools. I, you know, occasionally will pop an email off to a teacher or ask a question or that kind of thing, but I'm not around. I don't know the other parents. Um, I find all of the family spaces complicated in their own ways at each of the schools for their own reasons. Um, And that was not the case in elementary
0: school. So it seems we need an episode that asks educators how parental choice can and should figure in a public school system. I say ask educators because most policymakers and many, if not most charter school founders are not educators. That won't come next episode, because I need the time to sort this issue out. Next time, we'll take a look at the debate over the science of reading. It's the only actual educational issue that has generated real headlines in the past year. Ironically, it's actually not a huge source of controversy among educators. But more on that next time. I hope you'll join us. Today, and always, I want to give a shout out to our production and editing team here at Chasing Bailey. Our editors are Brenna Fallon and Sam Deacon. Ruby Mundock handles promotional efforts. Our executive producer is Dr. Larry Woodall. I'm delighted to be working with this student faculty team at Millersville University to make Chasing Bailey an educational effort in every way. We are, all of us, teaching and learning all the time. And as usual, if you are a regular Chasing Bailey listener, please be sure to leave a review and spread the word among the educators, parents, and policymakers you know. If you are just tuning in, please subscribe to the podcast so that we'll know we're getting the word out. And if you have any questions or suggestions, we want to hear from you. Email us at chasingbaileypod at gmail.com. Together, We can spread the word that the path toward our best educational efforts and the best educational system we can craft runs through the attention we pay to educators.